So if you're not sure whether or not you should attend the uprising or volunteer, if breaking it down is an active part of your vocabulary, you're a volunteer, just for the record. And so my wife and I will be volunteering because that's probably an active part of my vocabulary as well. So, all right. So, you know, I never see the video announcements in advance. I was like, why is Lester Holt in our video announcements? Yeah. But it's going to be, this year's going to be great. It's going to be so, so good. Well, if, um, if you've got your Bible, you can turn to Matthew 16. We're going to be working out of there in a few verses in, uh, in just a couple of minutes. But just to kind of get us thinking along the, the right direction, you know, this is the next to last week in our uh, summer series. And so I want to reach back to the, the series launch and teach again on our uh, discipleship model. We've had lots of visitors and guests that have been coming in through the summer. And then also, I, I usually do that at the end of the series, but uh, I want to set aside next week so that all the time is devoted to the pathway of rest. I, I believe that one of the greatest sins of the modern church is, is, is that we have lost our sense of the Sabbath. And so we're going to be talking about that next weekend. So if that's you, uh, if you don't Sabbath on a regular basis, if, if, uh, if you find yourself just always worn out because you're not walking in this revelation of the way God made you and what your body needs uh, cyclically uh, throughout your week, then you definitely want to be here next week uh, as we dig into that deep, dig into that deep. And so, all right, so we like participation here at, at City Life. So, so what's one of the most important conversations that you've ever had? Yes, come on, which obviously that turned out well because Sharon is still here with you. Come on. Somebody else. I know for Vanessa and I, we were making a decision in 2007, are we going to move uh, here to the 757 and, uh, and, and lead this church forward? So a conversation like that, one of the most significant conversations, important conversations that you've had. Anthony. Joining the military, absolutely. Maybe a conversation that you had with a recruiter. Selah has her, has her hand up. I know. She has important conversations. What kind of snacks are in the nursery, right, that she wants to know? She's laughing. She likes my jokes. I know. Somebody else. One of the most important conversations that you've had? Kids versus puppies. And, and you have kids, we know. Do you also have puppies? Did you choose both? I know. See, that's how that conversation goes. I know. I know. We've told our kids from the very beginning, you can have dogs when you get your own place. That's the rule in our house. All right. Somebody else? Somebody else. One of the most important conversations, Clem. I know. Which it's out front, so we know the answer to that question, right? We, it's out front, so we know the answer to that question. I know. All right. Somebody else. Somebody else. One of the most important conversations. Where to go to college and at CNU this year as a freshman. Come on. Somebody else. Come on, a couple of more. An important conversation. I know you've had them. Don't be shy. What's an important conversation that you've had in your life? Yes, ma'am. Say that again. I thought you said hiding the children. I was like, we have a counseling service here, right? Yeah, yeah, guiding, right? You've got to raise them. So you make a decision about we're going to have kids, but then it's the conversation about how are we going to raise them. If you're married, you might have come from two different. Ah, that's really good. I saw another hand right here, Jeremy. Job interviews, yes. Job interviews are stressful, are they not, right? It's not easy, not easy. So somebody tell me, which I think I have some a giveaway. Is it down here? I think I have some gift cards somewhere. Oh, 
Here in my pocket. This is what happens when you get old and you use breaking it down in your vocabulary. You can't remember where you put your gift cards. All right, somebody, somebody tell me why that question that we just fleshed out together is connected to this summer series. A hand up. Anybody? Nobody? I got, I got $10 iTunes gift cards, Stranger Things, Season 2 is coming out soon. Accountability? No, that's close, though. That's close. It's close. Come on, somebody tell me why the, this idea about conversations is connected to the series. Yes, ma'am. Yes, you're gonna, you want iTunes or Starbucks? Starbucks. Yeah, about this idea. Come on, you should clap. Don't be bitter. And then we'll do here for consolation because we believe in grace. And we're going to get you a, a, a different jersey. Okay, all right, all right, all right. I saw my, my two Redskins jerseys hanging in the closet when I was picking out my shirt today, and I was like, so it's coming, though. All right, all right. Is, is the reason why we're, we're talking, because all of you have had important conversations in your life. And in most of those conversations, you put some time and thought and effort to prepare for that conversation. You, you, you gathered your thoughts. You, you wanted that conversation to go well, especially if it was a job interview. This whole summer has been about reminding ourselves that you and I are one day going to step into eternity. And you know what's going to begin that existence of us forever? It's going to be a conversation with Jesus. Listen to this in Matthew 16. Verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways and take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world and yet lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge people according to their deeds. Jesus is laying out for us what it means to be a disciple. It means that we've got to be willing to give all of who we are to all of who Christ is. And he wants us to understand that there's going to be a conversation that we have with him where he's going to ask us the question, how well did you do? So we've been asking this question throughout this whole series is, what are you doing this day to get ready for that day. What are you doing this day? How are you living your life now with a sense of intentionality to be prepared for the conversation that one day you're going to have with Jesus where you talk about how well did you do as a devoted follower of Christ? Human effort in response to a sovereign command produces a divine result. Human effort in response to a sovereign command produces a divine result. I share that with you because you might be thinking, Fred, my life is messed up. It's, it's a, it, I don't even want to stop and think about what that conversation is going to be like with Jesus because I know it's not going to go good because when I look into my past, I've made way too many mistakes. And so what I would say to you is human effort in response to a sovereign command can produce a divine result. Jesus is inviting you into a relationship with him. And he has six commands that we're going to work through in just a minute. And if you would give your heart to a life of obedience to those six commands, you're not going to get a human result because that's what you've been getting for the last several years of your life. You're going to get a divine result. And that divine result is going to be a transformative experience that changes your life forever. So this is our phrase. If 
I accept one invitation, then I must obey six commands. And to obey six commands, I must walk in 12 pathways. And when I walk in 12 pathways, I become 24 virtues. This discipleship model that we use here, it's called praxis. We've come up with it on our own. The, the word praxis is the Greek word deeds. In that text in Matthew 16, it, it means that which characterizes your life. There are four distinct parts to our model or what we can call a map to discipleship. Again, these four numbers, the 1, the 6, the 12, and the 24. Here's another way to describe how we see discipleship. When Jesus invites me to be his disciple, he expects me to obey his commands. I obey those commands by walking in spiritual pathways. And when I walk in those pathways, I become a virtuous person. So let's look at the command here, the invitation rather, the invitation. Sorry, I know I'm throwing off the projections. Let's go back to the invitation. All right, 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. So, so if, if we're moving faster than what you would prefer if you're a note taker, then the outline for the message is on our website every weekend. So the podcast is there and then this little document icon, all the notes for that weekend's message are there. You can download that, that PDF. So 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, this is the invitation. So when the apostle Paul was sitting down, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to write this letter to the church of Corinth. That's why it's called 1 Corinthians. It's the first of our known letters to him. He, he writes these words to open up chapter 11. And you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Some translations render it, you should follow me as I follow Christ. Now, one of the things I love about this is that it requires that you be a part of a community of people to accept this invitation. See, Paul did not have any concept of Christianity outside of the local church. He had had no concept of Christianity by yourself. Now, can you get to heaven by yourself? Absolutely, because that's determined by your vow of devotion to Christ and the work that he did on the cross. But you're never going to experience everything that God has destined for you to experience by yourself. Your discipleship journey is going to fall short because you don't have other people walking with you. And then one of the things that you're supposed to fulfill as a follower of Christ is you should have some other people following you. And if you're out there doing it on your own, then whose life are you influencing for the kingdom? You should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. So Paul's saying you should have some people that are a little bit farther along that you can follow. And you should have some people that you are a little bit farther along than them so that they can follow you. And that's what the local church builds itself around, these relationships that we call discipleship. All right, let's go to the command. So that's the invitation. If I accept the invitation to be a disciple, right, you can accept Christ's invitation for his forgiveness. You can accept his invitation, right, to what he did for you on the cross that Pastor David was referring to during the worship wrap-up, right? And heaven is promised to you. Accepting his invitation to discipleship, that's something deeper. You, You could spend the rest of your life on your way to heaven and never begin day one of your discipleship journey. And what I would say to you is, don't do that. Not only did Jesus pay the ultimate price so that you could experience forgiveness, he paid the ultimate price so you could find your destiny. And the only way that you're going to find your destiny and your purpose is to begin to walk out these commands. Now, there's six of them, and we believe these six 
are the entire embodiment of the teachings of Christ. That all of the teachings of Jesus can trace themselves back to these six commands. There's follow Jesus, love God, love people, be perfect, go everywhere, and receive power. Those are the textual references for each of those commands. And then the words over there on the other side of the screen, those are the words that kind of typify the command. So when we talk about follow Jesus, what are we talking about there? We're talking about devotion. That something in your heart is devoted to Christ above all else. It means that you identify as a disciple of Christ above everything else. It's your transcendent identity. I'm a father and a husband and a brother and a son and a pastor and a neighbor, right? We've got all kinds of things that we are. But you know what? All of those come under this idea of I am a devoted follower of Christ on a discipleship journey. It's my ultimate devotion. And when my devotion is worked out there, I'm telling you, I have more devotion to give into all those other life roles. Love God is about intimacy. It's about waking up every day knowing God is your best and closest friend. Loving people is about care. It's interesting, isn't it, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, one of the great emphasis of Jesus when he talks about love is what are you doing for people, maybe even people who are your enemies? How is your love demonstrated through your actions? We want to be a community of faith that we care for each other in tangible ways, which as you saw in the video announcements, which is why we do life groups, because we all have home projects that need to get done. Right? Matthew 5.48, this is one of the most daunting ones of all. This is kind of at the end of the intro of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, Be ye therefore perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. What's he saying? Is he saying that, that, that unless you are perfect, that, that you're going to fail? No, no, no. What, what he's saying is, be more perfect tomorrow than you are today. For the rest of your life, our marker is the perfection of Christ. We're never going to get there. Five years from now, I should be here and not there anymore. It's about an appetite for personal transformation. It's about having the kind of courage that's necessary to make the kind of changes that you need to make. And you're going to have an opportunity to demonstrate some courage later on in the service. Matthew 28, 19, the Great Commission is about going everywhere. And the best word to describe that is diligence. And then Acts 1, 8 is receive power. It's about being equipped by the power of the Holy Spirit. We list that one last because you cannot do any of these other things unless the power of the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. It's why we can say human effort in response to a sovereign command produces a divine result because there's something of divinity in you when you make a vow of devotion to Christ. That's why we use the phrase, you take your first spiritual breath of the Holy Spirit, all of who he had all of who he is fills you up. And it's through that power that you can begin to have the faith that you need to walk out these commands. Now, how do you walk out these commands? We have 12 pathways. The pathways are scripture, worship, prayer, and fasting, relationship, reaching, gathering, and accountability, and service, generosity, stewardship, and rest. They're not grouped in any particular order. That's just how I've memorized them in my own journey in life. There should actually be a comma in prayer and fasting. They should not be grouped together as they often are. They're two separate practices, even though they often are exchanged uh, in life together as one experience. But, But these 12 pathways here, they're all important. In fact, we shy away from prioritizing them in any way. And the reason why we shy away from prioritizing them is if you begin to prioritize these pathways, it gives you a false sense of permission to do the ones further down on the list list. You cannot fulfill those six commands unless all 12 of these are active in your life. 
All 12. So this idea of red and yellow and green, which we're going to do in a practical way in just a little bit, is, is how you can, rela- can, can begin to rate yourself. You should take these 12 pathways, and, and there's a PDF document that's going to list it. We're going to work through in just a minute. The pathway, a definition, and a verse of Scripture. You can either print it out and use that, or you can make your own list. Just list all 12 of them. And then you should have three columns on the other side of those pathways. Red means that you do it infrequently. Yellow means you do it occasionally. And green means you do it often. Does that make sense? So if, if you can't remember the last time you read the Bible, then that's red. Now, all of you at least get yellow on gathering because you're here tonight. Come on, that's pretty good, huh? Right? It's all the people that said, I don't think I'm going to go to church today. And they've been saying that for three years, right? That's red for them. Gatherings, right? So if you do it occasionally, I do it some, but I don't do it as much as I should, then that's yellow. And then green is something that that pathway is present in your life. In, in fact, that it's there so much that it's hard to imagine your life without it. Your goal in life is to get all 12 of those pathways into green. And we like this idea of red and yellow and green because what green is for you today should not be what green is for you 10 years from now. You tracking with me? The, 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 the amount of time you spend in Scripture today, you should grow in that. The, 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 the amount of time that you give your life to, to moments of worship, you should grow in that. So in order for green to stay green, you've got to grow in that pathway. And as you fill your life with these 12 commands, then you're going to be a person that's walking out, walking out all that Jesus asks of you. Let me, let, me, let me share this thought with you. Let me give you this statement related to prayer and these commands. My challenge to you is to read aloud this sentence and replace prayer with every other pathway. You can do that if you print these notes out. Here it comes. As prayer becomes a more regular, consistent, routine part of my life, my sense of devotion to Jesus strengthens. My experience of intimacy with God deepens. My motivation to care for others rises. My resolve for courage to change intensifies. And my energy and diligence and mission multiplies. And my faith for being equipped by the Holy Spirit matures. Now just imagine for a moment that your life is characterized by all 12 of these pathways. How much more would our lives be a living example of impassioned obedience to those six commands? Can you imagine, read that statement, take out prayer and put in every other pathway. There's a self-evidencing quality to that statement, isn't it? As I'm reading that, you're saying, well, of course that's what prayer would do for my devotion to Christ. Of course that's what prayer will do with my sense of intimacy with God. And that sense of, of course, comes to you as you hear prayer inserted into every one of those six statements. And I'm telling you, if you do this as an exercise, all of a sudden there's a light bulb that's going to go off. You go, of course, I should do what I can to get all 12 of these pathways active in my life. Why does it matter? Because one day, you're going to have a conversation with Jesus. And it's going to be the most important conversation that you will ever have. And this is what he's going to be talking to you about. All the other conversations that we have in life that we think are so important, they're important because we live in this life. But when we step into that life, this 
is what matters. It's why right before Jesus gives us this statement about how one day he's going to come and he's going to judge us according to our deeds, it's why what comes before that is his great teaching about how we should be willing to lay down our lives and give up who we are. It means sometimes it means sometimes that our devotion to Christ changes the outcome of some of those other important conversations that we want to have because he's got something to say about some of those conversations. And then he says, what does it profit a person to gain the whole world? Right? That's a lot. The whole world. And yet lose your own soul. And then he says, right? he could have stopped there and that would have been pretty intense. Are you with me? If we were there 2,000 years ago and we're in the crowd and Jesus is making these, these incredible statements, if he had stopped there, that would have been an amazing sermon. But then he doesn't stop there. He says, and just so you know, you and I, we're going to be talking about this one day. And we want to be a church that empowers you so that there's a sense of intentionality to your life as a disciple and a devoted follower of Christ. That when you wake up tomorrow, that you have some sense of knowing, what do I do now? What do I do next? And if you were to take those 12 pathways and rate yourself, I'm telling you, you begin to have a strategy so you just don't have to cross your fingers and hopes it works, hope it works out for you. All right, so the last one is 24. It's 24 virtues. I'm going to read these virtues to you, and then I want to talk a little bit about where they come from, and then we're going to have some time together where we're working through those pathways and have some moments of authenticity. Authentic, content, hospitable, truthful, persevering, wise, hopeful, and loving. Joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, gentle, and faithful. Humble, grateful, merciful, honorable, principled, selfish, selfish, wow, I can't say that one, see, because I don't like that one. Selfless, fervent, believing, forgiving, and self-controlled. You've heard me say this before. If words were colors, this is the portrait of Christ. This is who Jesus is. And so when you're asking the question, how much am I like Jesus, this, this is it right here. When you begin to look at those 24 virtues, which ones of those are absent in your life? Which ones of those are lacking in your life? And this is what we believe about this model. See, that's why the 12 pathways are the engine of this model. It's not the virtues. Because we believe that if you make your life spiritually fertile, then this fruit is going to grow. If you give your life to working those 12 pathways, you are working the soil of your soul. You're making the soil of your heart fertile. And so these 12 pathways are the way that we obey the six commands, which is the essence of being a disciple of Christ. And when we do that, these 24 virtues begin to grow in you in ways that you thought were never possible. And if you've got some opposite, right, opposite things from this list at work in your life, there is a displacing effect that these virtues have on those character traits that need to change in you. As these things begin to grow in you, it begins to push out the other stuff that doesn't belong. These Virtues come from what Dr. George Wood, who I think he's still the superintendent of the general superintendent of the symbols of God. He's one of my favorite modern day theologians and pastors. But he has what he has identified as the five great growth lists of Scripture. I'm going to give them to you again. You can download these notes. But it's Matthew 5, 3 through 10. That's the Beatitudes. It's Romans 12, 9 through 21. 
It's 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. It's a portion of that love text in 1 Corinthians 13. There's Galatians 5, 2 through 20, uh, 22 through 23, 22 through 23. Uh, the, the, that's the fruit of the Spirit. Now, most people only ever recognize those fruits as the fruit of the Spirit, but that's not the only list of virtue in the Bible. That's just the one that gets a lot of the attention. But all five of these are equally important fruits, lists of fruit. And then you've got 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7. So we took those five great growth lists, and what we did is we studied those, and then we took out where they overlapped. We took out the redundancy, and then we modernized some of the names, but being staying true to the intent of the original text, and that's how we came up with these 24 virtues. The 1, the 6, the 12, and the 24. Who here doesn't want that person to be their friend? Who? Who looks at that list and says, you know, I'd, I'd rather my wife really do bad at those 24 things. Who here, like the lady that talked about raising your children, who here looks at that list and says, yeah, I hope my kids don't turn out like that. Yeah, who says that? Nobody. But guess what? You're somebody's friend. You're somebody's child. You're somebody's husband. You're somebody's wife. You're somebody's neighbor. You're somebody's friend in a church. Hello. We'd love to see those 24 things in other people. But we're not so excited about seeing those 24 things in us. Because the opposite of those come a lot easier. And the work that it takes to get these things in your life, it's hard. So we use the phrase here all the time. You want City Life to be a church that you call home? We're going to make your soul sweat. We're going to make your soul sweat. We believe in grace. Grace is how you get to heaven. Effort is how you get some of that heaven here in your life on earth. Why? Because human effort in response to a sovereign command produces a divine result. These other two aren't going to bear fruit in your life unless there's some effort that comes from you. And what that effort looks like are those 12 pathways. Those are the doing parts of Christianity. It's the doing part of your faith. Now, it's important to believe certain things, and you're going to get that on your journey here with us. In fact, we've got uh, uh, doctrines that are important to us. All that's on our website. We're not saying that you can, can just throw all that stuff out. No, no, no. We're, all of that stuff's important. But what we're saying is if your life's going to change, if your life's going to change, you've got to give yourself to these pathways. You could spend the rest of your life dialing in a, a precise theological statement for your life and understanding the doctrines of Scripture. But if that's all that you ever do, you will not grow. You will not grow. And when you get to heaven, Jesus is going to talk to us about our beliefs. That's just one pathway. That's the one that was about Scripture. But you need all of those other pathways in your life in order for, to fulfill those Six commands in order for these virtues to be evidenced in you. So I've been reading this book this summer by Bob Santos. It's called The Touchpoint, Connecting with God Through the Bible. This is a, a great book on the Bible. He has three words that he uses to, to really speak to what Scripture is. He says that it's inspired, which I believe that this book is from God to us. He believes that it's infallible, which means that it cannot fail us. I believe that. And he believes that it's authoritative, which I do too. 
It means that this book should instruct the way that I live. And that when I'm reading this book and I realize that my life is at odds with this book, that the book does not have a problem, I have a problem, and it's my responsibility to bring my life into alignment with this book. Now listen to one of these verses that this book says. James 5, verse 6, says this, 516, sorry. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Listen to the last part of this verse. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. It's incredible, isn't it? Another translation renders it the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you might be healed. That's how another translation renders the first part of that. So I thought, you know, how great would it be for us to take a few minutes to work through these 12 pathways? And if you would rate this pathway red, that you would stand up. And that we would pray, and then we're going to go on to the next one. And what I'm going to ask you to do is that is that when I'm when we start to pray, don't stand up until we start to pray, because that's going to make it easier, because people have a tendency to pray with their eyes closed. Nothing super spiritual about that, right? It's just a just our practice in Western culture. But it's going to be easy for you to stand up with people's eyes closed. So wait until we start praying until you stand up. But when I say amen, don't sit down right away. Don't sit down right away. Take a minute and look around the room. It's kind of your way of saying to everyone else in here, this is red for me, and it shouldn't be, and I'm going to do better. You're not looking around the room because you want to see who else is standing. You're looking around the room because you want other people to see you. Because that's what confession feels like. And it feels good. It feels good. Why does it feel good? Because of what James wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit. There's something of healing that doesn't come until we're willing to be honest about something that's missing in our lives. And when you combine that moment with the moment of prayer, he says, come on, something supernatural can take place in your life. I believe that for some of you, tonight is going to be a turning point for you in some of these pathways. For some of you, Getting some of these pathways started in your life has been such an obstacle. And, and tonight's going to be your moment of, it's going to be your moment of breakthrough. So on Friday, I was in here for a couple hours. And I sat in every pew. I started right there. And I didn't get up until I felt like God gave me a prayer for that pew. And I worked my way into every seat all the way back. And then I started in the middle and worked my way all the way to the front. And then I got here all the way back. Sometimes I did not even sit down. It was like the Holy Spirit just gave me the prayer. I prayed it, and then I just went on. Sometimes I had to sit for a long time. Like I was about right over here, and I was like, hey, God, I got a lot more pews that I got to sit in here, right? Sometimes he wants us to linger in a place. One of those prayers that stood out the most for me was I felt like somebody was going to be here tonight. You came reluctantly, and you've been spending a lot of time looking around suspiciously, and now you sit comfortably And God now wants you to stand courageously. You came reluctantly. You've spent all of this service looking around suspiciously. Something's happened that's enabled you to sit comfortably. And now God wants you to stand courageously. Some of you are going to stand up 11 times. Not 12 because you're here and gathering is one of the pathways, right? If you're watching from home on the podcast, some of you are going to stand up 12 times. 
Why is daddy standing in the living room? I don't know. Leave him alone. He's crying, right? (laughs) Twelve times. If you have to stand up 12 times, it does not matter. If we confess to one another, right? When we confess to one another and pray for one another, there's a healing that happens in us. I believe in this book, and I believe what it says is true. And when we take a chance on it, you will see your life changed and transformed forever. Pathway number one, Scripture. It's about reading, studying, memorizing, and meditating on the Bible. I made a vow of devotion to Christ in December of 1990, and it was that following week that I felt like God spoke to me about fasting, and I had grown up up in the church, so I knew what that was. So the following day, I did not eat anything. I didn't eat any food. I was 23 years old, so I was like any other 23-year-old guy. If I didn't even have my snacks in between my five meals, I thought I was going to starve to death, right? So at the end of the night, I still didn't. I wasn't going to eat till the following morning as I was falling asleep. I felt like God asked me the question. This is the beginning of my journey of a conversation with God that's now lasted for the rest of my life is that, is that he, are you hungry? He said to me. And I was like, oh, I'm hungry. And he asked me that over and over and over and over and over again. And I kept saying, yes, I am. Yes, I am. And then this is what he said to me. The life that's now been created in you is hungry too. And you've got to feed it with my word. Don't starve yourself. Some of you, you look healthy on the outside, but you're famished on the inside because you've not eaten from this meal. Reading, studying, memorizing, meditating on the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. So I'm going to pray, and as I pray, you stand. I'm not going to pray long because we've got 11 other pathways to do. But Father, I pray for every person that's standing right now who would say that this pathway is red in their life. I pray, God, that that you would awaken an appetite in them for your word, that, that you would connect them to the feeling of hunger in their spirit just as they're connected to the hunger in their stomach. Maybe they're hungry right now for dinner. I pray that you would make them feel hungry for scripture and that when they feast upon it, they would feel satisfied. In Jesus' name, come on and everybody said, amen. Don't sit down yet. You can clap though. All right. All right. Sit down. Right, do that for everyone. Just pause for a moment, right, and look around. It's, I'm, it does something inside of you. You might think that I'm odd, but if that, that's okay. I am a little bit. Breaking it down. Where's my rim shot? I need somebody on the drums up here. All right, worship. Outwardly expressing the joy that comes from knowing God. We, we are outwardly expressive in our praise because we're excited about the love of God. And if being expressive in worship is new for you, that's okay. But don't let your personality and prior religious traditions rob you of the psalmic experience. It's one of the biggest books in the Bible. As you read through the book of Psalms, we're, we're not trying to be contemporary. We're trying to be ancient. We're not trying to be contemporary. We're trying to be ancient. There's a psalmic experience that God wants you to have. If it can feel awkward the first time you raise your hands, you feel like everyone's watching you, that a spotlight is on you. I can connect with that feeling of being conspicuous. But what I would say to you is break through your insecurities and let the song that God's going to put in your heart come out. Hourly expressing the joy that comes from knowing God. If worship is read for you, shout for joy to the Lord. The Lord of all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness and come before him with joyful song. 
Psalm 101 through 2. Father, I pray for every person that's going to stand now who doesn't step into moments of worship that's been too infrequent or maybe when they're in places like this, they, they use their personality as an excuse to not be expressive. Father, I pray for the people that are here that all of a sudden the book of Psalms would come alive to them. That, that when, when they're here on Saturday nights and they see the words on that screen that they're going to take those words and make them their own. That, that there's going to be some sense inside of them that now they've been invited to be a part of something greater that's happening in heaven and they don't want to wait there to be a part of it. So they're going to step into a moment of praise in the here and now in Jesus' name. Come on and everybody said together, amen. Come on. It feels good, doesn't it? All right. You don't sound convinced. That's okay. We're only through two. By the end, you're going to be there with me. I'm going to wear you down going to wear you down. All right. Prayer. Regularly. Wow. Regularly. I can't talk tonight. Regularly. There it goes. Talking with God and interceding for ourselves and for others. Right? For ourselves and for others. And prayer isn't just about supplication. It's about declaration. It's about declaring things over your life. There's moments where I step into prayer. I'm declaring things over my children's future. Sometimes when I'm praying in here on Friday afternoons, and God might bring your name to my mind, I'm declaring things over your life. If I know about needs in your life, then yeah, then sometimes I'm asking, but then sometimes I'm declaring. There's a power that comes in prayer. Regularly talking with God and interceding for ourselves and others. Philippians 4, 6 through 7, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard our hearts and minds as we live in Christ Jesus. Father, I pray for the people that are going to stand right now because they're saying prayer is absent from my life. It's, it's not present enough. And when I, when I look at these three colors, it's, it can only be read if I mark it honestly. And so for the person that's standing to confess that, Father, I pray that there would just be something in their knees that would want to bend. Something inside of them that just would want to bow before you. That it would be as though that when they get to the end of their day, if they've not stepped into a moment of prayer, they would find themselves at their bedside because something is empty and missing in their life without having a conversation with you. In Jesus' name, come on and everybody said together, amen. Come on. (laughs) Fasting. Fasting, sacrificing common things to focus on God, especially food. If you've never fasted before, just start with one meal. Just, just skip a meal. There's something about, we're going to do a, probably a teaching on it by the end of the year, but we love to teach on fasting. It's, it's one of the, the, the most left out pathways. And one of the reasons why it's left out is because it's only ever taught of in connection to prayer. And we know there's some texts in the Bible that connect them together. But guess what? There's texts in the Bible that connect all of these pathways together. You can do fasting just by itself. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a spiritual discipline on its own. Ezra 8.23, so we fasted and earnestly prayed that our God would take care of us, and he heard our prayer. 
Father, I pray for people that are standing right now that maybe they've never fasted or they can't remember the last time they fasted, whether it was a meal or maybe to fast technology or, or maybe it was to fast something else that was meaningful for them. That, that This experience of sacrifice that, that crosses the threshold of discomfort has been missing from their life. And Father, I pray that over the next 30 days, God, that something inside of them, they just can't get enough of it. They can't get enough of just denying themselves something on this earth that is tangible and natural and in that place, oh God, that you're going to meet them, they're going to get revelation, that they're going to experience your presence, that they're going to find breakthrough in areas of struggle in their life, that Father, that they're going to see some sprouts of virtues that they thought were impossible because they're connected uniquely to this practice in Jesus' name. Come on and everybody said, amen. Come on. gathering, engaging in community with the body of Christ. And that's just not weekend services. It's life groups. It's, it's, it's when people are going out uh, after the service and grabbing dinner together. That's gathering. It's coming together with the people of God. It might look formal like this, or it might be informal. You, so you see, as we're building here, can you imagine what your life would look like if all 12 of these were a regular part of who you are? I tell, I'll tell you what you would look like. You would look like those 24 virtues. Gathering, engaging a community within the body of Christ. They worship t- t- together at the temple each day. See, we, you got it easy. You only have to come to church once a week. In the first century, they were there at least once a day. Come on, each day. And they had life group every day. Who goes to that church? Yeah, nobody. They went to church every day. They met in people's homes every day. They did the Lord's Supper every day. And they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, Acts 2.46. Father, we pray for everyone that's not here tonight that you would convict their heart deeply. No, I'm just kidding, right? <laughs> Father, we pray, Father, for we, we know that there are some people that are here tonight, God, but it might be that you're still asking them to stand because it's been far too long before they've been here or anywhere else. And, and Father, I pray... We, we joke some, but, but Father, people, we, we know that some people are going to be listening to this podcast and they're going, to, they're going to be at church, whatever church they call home next weekend because of this moment. Because they know that not only have they been robbing themselves of community, they've been denying that community of their presence. And every single one of us, you've made us unique. You've made us special. There's a part that we play that no one else can play. Father, I pray that for city life, as we're, as we're approaching 2017, that for the Suffolk campus, for the Newport News campus, for the Williamsburg campus, we don't want anybody in this church that are supposed to be a part of some other church. But everyone that's supposed to be a part of this church, we say let them come that they might experience the gift of gathering that everyone here tonight is experiencing in Jesus' name. Come on, and everybody said together, amen. Come on. Oh, we're good. Relationship, relationship. See, you can gather and never pursue relationship. You can show up a little late, sneak out a little early, or maybe you come a little early and you stay a little late, but you just have the, 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 right, the, the wall up that you won't let anybody in. All 12 of these pathways are intended to work in concert with each other. Being authentic with others to know and to be known. To know and to be known. That's one of the reasons why life groups are so important. It does not matter so much about the topic of the life group. That's important. It's important to learn. 
But the primary reason that you're there is to build relationships. It's so that you can get to know others and that others can get to know you. Listen to what Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10 says. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. And if one person falls, the other can reach out and help. We talked about that last week. You're not going to have relentless friends unless you pursue relationships relentlessly. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Father, I pray for the people that are here who, and I know this is a tough one sometimes, God. The, the person that's here that says, I've isolated myself. I, I have a tendency to build walls. I, I only let people get so close and then I want to push them out. And I know that for somebody here, God, there's a good reason for that because they've been hurt. I, I know that there's good reason for that sometimes in their journey in church life in the past because someone that they thought they could trust betrayed them and that wound goes deep. Father, I pray tonight that this is the kind of healing, James, that you talked about. It's not just about a physical healing. It's about a spiritual healing. And I pray for the wounded heart that's in here tonight that's standing right now who's having a hard time trusting again because of what happened in there yesterday that they're going to experience the supernatural healing Holy Spirit that you spoke of in James chapter 5. That, that this moment for them is the effectual fervent prayer that availeth much. And we pray too, Father, for the person like myself, who's a naturally introverted person in their personality, that we would not use our personality as permission to not build relationship. That we're just as desperate for relationship as the extroverted person. That all of us have a deep need to know and to be known especially the family of God that you've called us to. In Jesus' name, come on. And everybody said together, amen. Come on. Come on. Reaching, sharing the hope of Christ's love through evangelism and outreach. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us, through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Father, I pray that every person that's going to be standing in this prayer who is not pleading with people enough to come back to God, maybe it's a family member that they've been reluctant to share their faith with it, I pray supernaturally, God, that you're going to create a window, that you're going to open a door, that they're going to be at lunch or maybe in the, one another's home, and all of a sudden there's just going to be a moment you're going to make it so obvious that they can't miss it that it's, it's going to be a place for them to insert the conversation about God. I pray for the people that are here that are stricken with the fear of others and what they might think. Father, I pray for, for, for people like myself that are, that are so task-oriented. Sometimes, God, I move through my day so quickly, I'm not even paying attention to the people that are around me. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for not being reaching-oriented. Forgive us, Father, for, for not stepping into our day with a sense of expectancy for the person that you want us to encounter for your name's sake. Make us a reaching people. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said, amen. <laughs> Accountability. So this means when you go out to dinner afterwards for service, you're going to look at the person next to you and you're going to say, I stood up six times. How many times did you stand? Right? It means that you got to talk about this stuff. If you come in here and have this, oh, that was great, and you leave out that door and you don't think about it again, right? And then it's not meaningful for you. What makes it meaningful is that something happens after these 90 or so minutes. We say our service lasts from 5 to 6.30-ish. Ish. 5 to 6.30-ish. 
having someone that helps us reach our God-given potential. This is why you, one of the reasons you need relationships, because we talked about it last week. You need people that love you enough to ask you questions that you don't want people to ask you. You want people that love you enough, that are willing for you to be mad at them. They love you that much to endure your wrath so that they can care for you. James 5.16, right? That's the verse for this pathway. That's the one that we've been talking about. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. One of the reasons I felt like the Holy Spirit wanted us to give so much of our message tonight, this experience, is that some of you have never experienced being this authentic in a public way before. And, it, and, and, it's, and, it's, and it's broken the myth that the devil has, has had you under that if you get that honest, then you're, you're going to live under condemnation and judgment. That might have been true in other places. It's not going to be true here. Rest. This is what we're going to be preaching about next week. Honoring the Sabbath and practicing healthy life rhythms. Hebrews 4, 9 through 10. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. There's four biblical rests, and we're going to cover them next week. We're going to introduce you to the three, but then the, the fourth one that we talk about the most is the, is the Sabbath. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest, but if we disobey God, as the people of Israel did, that we will fall. Father, I pray for the people that are standing right now. They know they're far too busy. For people that have neglected relationships because they're too driven. For people that, that, that maybe when they've tried to practice rest before, they're so addicted to adrenaline that they literally go through a mild depression on the day that they take off. Father, for the people that are just, that, that are imprisoned by activity, that you are going to take them by the hand and lead them into this practice of a weekly rest that begins to refresh them, begins to rejuvenate them, and begins to bring even deeper meaning to relationship they have because now they have time to invest in them. Father, I pray too for the person that's here right now that, that has lived under condemnation because of maybe some other person of authority in their life before, maybe even a parent. If they weren't busy enough, they felt inadequate. Father, we pray that you would set them free from that lie. You would just set them free from that lie. That they, they live for the approval of one, and that's you. And you're the one that says part of your approval that comes for us is actually doing less in this life so that we can ultimately do more. Father, we know that there are people here, if they continue on this path, they're going to get to heaven too early. Their life is going to be cut short because they wear themselves out. Father, let us be a people of rest. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said, amen. Come on. All right, three more. Three more. Generosity. Having a heart to give freely and offer help to others. So the ushers are going to come? I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just couldn't resist. Couldn't resist. Couldn't resist. Having a heart to give freely and offer help to others. A huge part of generosity is our finances. There's no, we, and we teach about it unapologetically here at City Light. Unapologetically. Jesus taught about money more than he did anything else. Anything else. Anything else. But it's not just about money. It's just having a generous spirit. Just being generous to other people. You want to get to know a generous person here? You get to know Jamal. You just get to know Jamal a little bit. He's one of the most generous people that I know. Come on. All right. I'm trying to be nice to him since I made fun of his jersey. No, but it's true. If you know Jamal, how about CYP, right? 
He's just gentle, right? He just pours his life out for people. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Father, I pray for the people that are standing up right now who they know. They just, there's nothing set aside in their finances for the church they call home. There's nothing set aside in their finances for other people. And we know this is a tough one to stand, but we know, Father, that you have people right here and you've been speaking to them. You've been speaking to them about the lack of generosity that flows from their life. Not just for money, but we know that there's some people here, Father, and, and, and we know the reason why they struggle with generosity is because they grew up in a home where no one was ever generous to them. And so their, 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 their generosity starved. And so they're living their life constantly taking, Father, because they're trying to heal this wound that's deep inside of them. Father, we pray just like we prayed earlier that, that something supernatural would happen in their life right now, that there would be a healing that would come and would touch that part of them, that wound that's in them because of a father or a mother or a coach or a teacher or a grandparent or a person of authority that was always, it, it was never enough, oh God. We pray, Father, that you would carterize that wound with your love and that they're going to wake up tomorrow and they're going to be setting the pace for generosity in their home. They're going to be setting the pace for generosity in their church. And they're going to be setting the pace for generosity in their workplace. They're going to be setting the pace for generosity in their circle of friends in the generation that is their own. Come on, in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Come on. <laughs> Stewardship. Two more, stewardship and service. Stewardship, being a good manager of all that God has entrusted to us. Stewardship is basically living with a mindset that nothing that you have belongs to you. Everything belongs to God. And when you get stewardship in, in the right place in your heart, then generosity flows a lot easier. Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all the people belong to him. Father, I pray for people here that struggle with this reality that everything they have belongs to you. I know for some, it's the moms that are going to need to stand. It's, 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 it's hard for them to say, my children belong to you. For many men, it's their career. It's hard for them to say, my, my career belongs to you. Father, for people that are here, for, for some of them, it's their money. It's hard for them to say, this isn't mine, this is yours. What do, we, what do you want me to do with it? Father, people that are here that need a breakthrough in their mindset of divine ownership, we pray, Father, that breakthrough is going to come today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on. Last one, service. Meeting the needs of others with their gifts and talents and time. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things, the good things that he has planned for us long ago. Father, I pray for the people that are standing now. The, the, the people that, 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 that they've not leveraged the giftings and the talents and, and the abilities of their life enough to build your kingdom. That they they've used their talents to advance their career. They've used their talents to advance themselves. But they know that too much time has been given to self and not enough time has been given to you. And, and that, that they know deep inside that more time has got to be created for them to begin to 
volunteer in the church that they call home, serve in a ministry that their giftings and talents match up to. Father, I believe that there might be some people here, they've just been, you've been speaking to them about getting involved in a certain ministry. Maybe it's not even this church. Maybe they're here visiting from out of town. And, and you've been talking to them, and they don't want to get involved in that ministry because they don't like the idea of that ministry. I pray there's just going to be a breakthrough in their life tonight. They're going to yield to you because you've got something waiting there for them. Every yes that we say to you is going to lead us to some treasure in this life that you want us to have. And it might be a difficult path between here and there, but we trust that you are only and always good. In Jesus' name, come on, everybody said, amen. Come on. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up because we want to close with a song. And then as they do, I want to read this verse. It's in Matthew 7, 24 to 29. Matthew 7, 24 to 29. Listen to these verses. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on a solid rock, though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is, it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teachings and doesn't obey... They are foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. And when the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Stand with me. Father, as we step into this moment of worship, as we close our service out with this song tonight, Father, let it be that this would be our promise to you, that we're going to move out of the house that's built on sand, and we're going to start to build a new one that's built on rocks. And we know that that bedrock, Father, is you, you, you told us what it is. Building our lives on rock is a life that's lived in obedience to the revelation that we have of your word. And, and, and some of us here tonight, it might be the Bible is new to us. But not one person has to leave here tonight without a good understanding of what 12 pathways are and what they're supposed to mean for them. And as they pick up that, those pathways, God, it's like picking up a hammer and a nail and a board. And they begin to build a life where your virtues can grow. In Christ's name, come on in, everybody. Sit together. Amen. Come on, let's sing together. Fill me.